So if you're a Christian, or maybe even if you're not a Christian, you're likely, you, you likely know that we as Christians are called to share our faith. Uh, we're called to share the gospel, which is the story about Jesus. Um, if you read in the Great Commission in, in the Gospel of Matthew, it says this in Matthew 28, 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So we're called to share our faith, the gospel message, which, like I said, is the story of, of who Jesus is, what he did, and what he is calling us to do as followers. And, and the end result of this is that we will be spending eternity with him. But other than being commanded to actually do this, what is our underlying motivation for why we share? Now, I know for, for many of us, there, there are times that we may share um, or, or not share out of a, a feeling of fear, because maybe we, we might feel like it, it's a little bit foolish, you know, this gospel message. We might think that people would think that we're foolish for sharing. But if you do actually share, what is that driving motivation? Again, beyond just the command to do it, what is it that's motivating us to share this gospel message? Maybe it's a sense of guilt. You know, maybe you feel like, ah, you know, you, you might be reluctant, but you feel like, ah, well, I have to share. There's sort of that, that nagging feeling in the, in the back of your head. Or maybe it's because, you know, you've, you've seen somebody in a time of distress in their life and you wanted to comfort them. So sort of comforting, that has kind of been that motivation to share the gospel message. Maybe you're the type of person that you actually feel kind of good about yourself. There's maybe even a sense of pride when you share. Maybe it's because of how other people see you or just, again, that just makes you feel good in your Christian walk. So that's kind of some of this underlying motivation. In short, you know, maybe for some of us, part of the motivation for why we share is to satisfy ourselves a little bit or maybe even to please other people. So, so again, maybe those are some of our motivations. So the question is, how is it that our motivations shape the gospel message? How does it change or alter what we are actually sharing? If you feared, you know, a little bit about maybe appearing foolish when you share, does that mean that maybe you've altered the message a little bit? So maybe it sounds a little bit less foolish. If you've shared with a motivation to comfort, well, maybe that means that some of the harder parts of the gospel message, maybe you softened a little bit, you tweaked them a little bit, so maybe they didn't sound quite so hard. If you're the type of person who was sharing because it makes you feel good, or maybe there's that sense of pride, does that mean that at times you've almost approached it, maybe even like a, a salesperson, even incorporating a little bit of a, a bait and switch to maybe hope that somebody will, will bite and take that message? You see, our motivations for sharing the gospel can definitely, whether intentionally or not, affect the message of the gospel itself. So the wrong motivation, again, even unintentionally, can lead to the wrong message. So what is our motivation for sharing the gospel, and what is the impact of that motivation on the message? So let's begin in prayer this morning. Lord, we just thank you for who you are. We thank you for this opportunity to engage with your word, to explore what you have for us this morning. And I just pray, Lord, that you would guide us in your truth and in your ways, Lord. Give us the boldness to, to follow you, to change. We just pray for transformation in our lives as you lead us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.
So today we're going to be looking at 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. So we're going to learn a little bit about what God is telling us, about how our perspective and our motivation should and should not be when it comes to sharing the gospel and sharing our faith in general with other people. Now, before I get into what this actual passage is saying, I do want to give a little bit of a backdrop of the scripture. Okay, so in our passage, uh, Paul is going to be reminding the church of Thessalonica, which is what this letter is actually written to. It's written to that church. He's going to remind them a little bit about his shared history with them. When a few years earlier, he actually went to Thessalonica and he founded the church there and he met with a bunch of people. So he's going to tell them a little bit of this, uh, remind them a little bit of what happened at that time. And if you want to look at that history in more detail, later on you can go look at Acts chapters 16 and 17, but I'm just going to kind of summarize what, what happened in those chapters. So in chapter 16 of Acts, Paul and some of his companions went to the city of Philippi in Macedonia. And they went there to share the gospel, okay? Now, several things happened in Philippi that ultimately resulted in Paul and his companions being beaten, they were stripped, they were thrown in prison, otherwise humiliated, okay? And when Paul pointed out that, hey, this is not appropriate behavior, well, first of all, for anybody, but especially for him as a Roman citizen, he kind of freaked out the, the officials of that city and realizing he was a Roman citizen and not wanting to get in trouble with Rome, they kind of pushed him out as quickly as possible, trying to kind of do it, you know, in an underhanded sort of way, because um, Paul was bringing this up to them, but kind of pushed him out. Um, and so Paul then next went to Thessalonica, which again is what this letter is addressed to, that the church in that city. And when he got to Thessalonica, as was Paul's common practice, he shared the gospel there. That was the, the typical thing he did. And he did have some success. It was limited success. But unfortunately, the Jews who were living in Thessalonica ended up stirring up a mob, okay? And they forced Paul, again, and his, his companions to flee by night to a neighboring district in Berea. And if you were to read in Acts 17.11, it says this about the Berean Jews. It says, the Berean Jews were of a more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Okay, so Paul was in Berea, but after not being there too long, having some success there, the Jews in Thessalonica, not being content with just kicking Paul out of that city, actually stirred up another mob, traveled the 50 miles it was to get to Berea, stirred up more trouble, and kicked Paul out of Berea also. So that's a little bit of the backdrop for what Paul is going to be reminding the Thessalonians about when I read our passage. So if you're there, we're in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. And you can just follow along as I read. It says, You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God, who tests our hearts. You know we never use flattery, nor do we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We are not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else, 
even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. So verses 1 and 2 in this passage is kind of reflecting that history I already talked about from Acts 16 and 17. Paul, again, and his companions suffered and were treated outrageously in Philippi, beaten, thrown in jail, as I already mentioned, and then they came to Thessalonica, where again they had very limited success before being driven out of that city by a mob and fleeing to Berea, where, again, they continued to preach the gospel, but the Jews from Thessalonica, kind of basically being jerks, stirred up that mob and pushed them out of there as well. So long story short, the Thessalonians really did not make too great of a first impression on Paul, okay? Yet, as it says in verse 2, with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. So Paul had just been beaten and thrown in prison and was faced with a mob in Thessalonica that was probably looking to do pretty much the same thing to him, yet he preached the gospel. And I think it's important for us to understand and remember this context, because we live in a society that, for the most part, does not persecute Christians. And when it does persecute them, for the most part, okay, the consequences are, are rather mild. I mean, we, you know, in, in some situations, we might appear foolish, you know, people may say things about us, but we see here with Paul, okay, his devotion to Christ cost him a lot. And just in this passage, we see that it cost him his safety, it cost him his freedom, and it cost him his health, okay? So if anybody would have been tempted to alter the message, to change it a little bit for their own sake, it would have been Paul, okay? All he had to do was downplay a few things, maybe obscure some things that were going to inevitably tick off the Jews, just give them a little bit of a less offensive message, more watered down, Yet, in the face of likely physical pain and imprisonment, Paul continued to faithfully share the gospel in all of its fullness without compromise. Now, Paul, of course, knew how important it was for him to share about Jesus with anybody that he encountered. But it's Paul's motivations beyond this that are particularly important for us this morning. And Paul explains his motivations for preaching and teaching in the gospel passage from, from today, why he, he presented the gospel as he did. So I want to talk about this, okay, because this is directly related to the, the question that I presented this morning at the beginning. What is our underlying motivation for how we preach the gospel? So before we get to the proper motivations, I want to talk a little bit about the improper motivations, and I've condensed this down to, to three things that I pulled out of this passage. So the first improper motivation for sharing our faith. First improper motivation is theological error. In verse 3, Paul says, For the appeal we make does not spring from error. Okay, now this is you know, foundational importance here. We can have theological error both in the, the message itself, essentially giving the wrong message or a different message, or we can have theological error in why we are giving the message itself, why we are sharing the gospel. For example, if we thought that the reason that we were supposed to, excuse me, supposed to share the gospel was because we thought that was the only way for us to get to eternity and, and spend that time with God, we would be doing that of theological error. We don't share the gospel because that's the way for us to spend eternity with God. We share the gospel because God loves people. 
And this is his message that he has given to us to share with others. So that's the first part of this. Part of the theological error can be having a wrong understanding of what sharing the gospel is, why we share the gospel, okay? We share the gospel because God loves people, he is concerned about them, and he is calling us to be concerned about them as well. Share his love with them so that they also, like us, can spend eternity with him. But I also mentioned that there can be theological error in the message itself. Now, I'm not saying that we have to know everything before we share our faith with people, but we do need to know enough to make sure that the message that we are sharing is the gospel of Christ. It is a gospel that is actually leading people to him and is not leading people to hell. And if you're concerned that you don't know enough about what that is, essentially it's just the story of Christ. It's his good news, okay? It's summed up rather nicely in Romans 10, 9 through 10, where it says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with a heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So the gospel, that the core element of what that is, is the good news about Jesus. That if we trust in him as our Lord, as the one who is now living, raised from the dead, he will wash away our sins and save us, and we can spend eternity with God. So if you know that, you know enough about what is theologically correct. You're not motivated out of theological error. So the first improper motivation, okay, is for, for sharing our faith is out of theological error. The second improper motivation for sharing the gospel is if we are seeking to please ourselves, okay? And this can be done in, in several different ways, and Paul talks about this uh, starting in verse 3, where it says, for the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. And then in verse 5, he says, you know we never used flattery, nor do we put on a mask to cover up greed. And in verse 6, he says, he was not looking for praise from people. So these improper motivations to please ourselves are essentially trying to make things easier on us. They spring from impure, selfish desires, including greed, pride, deceit, or simply, like I said, to try and feel better about ourselves. How many preachers, you know, preachers in quotes, okay, give a message but are mainly using that message, you know, a gospel message, to try and amass huge quantities of wealth for themselves? Or again, how many preachers are preaching the gospel, using that as a vehicle, and their primary motivation is to become famous, okay? I'm not trying to say that if somebody in the, in the process of sharing the gospel, if they did generate wealth or if they did become famous, that is bad. But if the primary motivation of somebody is simply to do that, to get rich, to become famous, then scripture is saying that those motivations are wrong. God may use them, but the motivation is wrong. Impure motives. Now, most of us are probably not gaining a bunch of money. We're not becoming famous because we're sharing our faith. However, some of us may possibly really like the praise we get when we share our faith with others. And I kind of mentioned that in the beginning. Maybe we just like how that makes us feel. Maybe it kind of feeds into our pride. Or maybe it makes us feel less guilty about our Christian walks. Some of us may really like the, the fights that we get into when we share our faith and then somebody reacts to it. 
And we like the feeling of our, our blood getting boiling when we feel like our secular culture is kind of stomping all over what Christianity is, and we feel like we're being you know, persecuted in that way. Well, trying to pick a fight is hardly a pure motivation for sharing our faith. If you or I are sharing the gospel primarily to either have the praise of other people or to get a rise out of other people so that we can get into a big fight on Facebook, okay? Scripture is saying that these are impure motives, okay, for sharing the gospel. Similarly, if you've ever been tempted to alter the gospel a little bit so that you might not look as foolish in a certain situation, or if you've ever wanted to soften the gospel message so as to not cause offense or maybe to overemphasize some of the good things to essentially sell somebody on Jesus, these two are impure motives. You know, flattery, false promises, a bait and switch. In fact, anything that is glossing over, hiding, exaggerating, softening, or simply not presenting the gospel message as it is, really is a form of deception. And who here really likes being sold on something that turns out to either not function as advertised, it breaks quickly after you buy it, or it turns out to be something totally different and it's something maybe that you didn't even need than the person who was trying to sell it to you suggested. I mean, nobody likes that, okay? And either you end up resenting the person who sold it to you, you resent the product itself, or yourself for falling for it, or some sort of combination of the three. And if you think about it, why would we want to trick somebody into following Jesus? Okay, an example of this might be if we were to tell somebody, hey, if you follow Jesus, solve all your problems. Life will be perfect. Are they really going to keep following him when they find out that this Christianity thing wasn't what was advertised? Did they really commit to a real Jesus if what they were told he was and who he is is something different than what he turns out to be? If you think about it, there's really no benefit to the other person, for sure, really all it does is make things a little bit easier on ourselves. It's not really helping the other person. So for essentially tricking people into following Jesus, then scripture says, again, this motivation for sharing the gospel is wrong. God may use it, but the motivation is wrong. So whether we are seeking to gain something from people through sharing the gospel, whether it's material things or praise, or seeking to make the job of sharing our faith easier through somehow altering the message, all of these motivations, all of these methods are primarily self-seeking. We're seeking to please ourselves first. And again, God may use those self-seeking ways, but the motivation is wrong. Now, for some of us this morning, perhaps for, for many of us, the problem is not that we are trying to gain something by sharing our faith, or that we're trying to make it easier to share our faith by altering the message. Maybe for some of us, the problem is simply that we don't share our faith at all. But this too really is self-seeking because we're not sharing because we, we don't want to share or we don't feel like sharing because it makes us, us, makes us feel uncomfortable. There's some other reason there. And I'm not trying to, to say this to lay a guilt trip out there because you know, we all feel guilty enough. I know I feel guilty enough at times okay, about many things within Christianity. But I'm simply trying to point out that we cannot be content in ignoring or avoiding our individual responsibilities in sharing and engaging in the Great Commission. Our command from God is to share the gospel. 
So the first improper motivation for sharing the gospel is out of theological error. The second improper motivation for sharing the gospel is seeking to please ourselves. The third improper motivation for sharing the gospel is seeking to please other people. And it says this in verse four, point blank. It says, we are not trying to please people. And in verse five, it says, we know we never, you know, we never used flattery. Now, often seeking to please ourselves works hand in hand with seeking to please other people. After all, if we don't offend somebody else, then we don't have to worry about defending ourselves. And if we throw in a little bit of a theological error by telling people, hey, everybody goes to heaven, then, you know, don't make anybody mad, you don't have to feel uncomfortable, and, you know, you just hit a three-in-one jackpot of all three of those problems there of improper motivations. So don't get me wrong in this, okay? It, it is important that we love our neighbor. So when we think about what it is to, to please other people, often we, we group those two things together. It's important to love our neighbor. After all, this is what Jesus said is the second greatest commandment. And of course, sharing our faith with other people is part of loving our neighbor. However, okay, however, loving our neighbor, seeking to please other people, cannot be our primary motivation. Can't be our primary motivation. Why not? And why, why is this an issue? Even if we are seeking to follow God's command to make disciples of all nations, our motivation, as I said in the beginning, is going to affect the message. It may not be intentional, okay, but it's what happens. If our primary intention, primary intention is to serve ourselves or to serve other people, we are naturally going to cater or alter the message to meet that end. And, and this is actually what we see happen all the time. Um, I've done uh, some volunteer work in, with, with chaplaincy, primary prison chaplaincy, but I've also talked with uh, chaplains in the hospitals, okay? And these are, these are you know, Christians who really love people. You know, they really love people. It's very clear, okay? And not for all of them, but for many of them, what I've noticed is, you know, let's say uh, they, they're gonna go and if it's somebody in the hospital, they're gonna go minister to somebody. They have made loving other people their primary motivation. So if they need to go minister to somebody who's in the hospital, maybe they just have a few days to live. Let's say they're somebody who's a Muslim, okay? Because loving other people is their primary motivation, what they are seeking to do is comfort, to care for. They are seeking to make that person feel good about themselves, to be comfortable in their last few days. But what they've done is they've thrown their theology and the primary importance here of the gospel message itself out the window. Because what they're not doing is they're not directing people to God. Because loving other people has been that trumping thing. Similarly, Again, within the, the chaplaincy, what I've noticed, maybe, um, again, people who are Christians coming across people who, whether it's the hospital or in the prison setting, they love people, they care about people, but maybe somebody is not walking in a way that a Christian should. But because of the desire to love first, being held as the primary motivation, those other commands of Christ get diminished, softened, 
and a lot of times just completely pushed to the side because love for other people becomes that primary motivation. Now, maybe you're not in the type of situation where um, you are encountering these sorts of crises in life. However, our society really is, is permeated very much with, with this type of, of thinking, okay? And that's why this is really very important for New Life Fellowship, okay? Our society is a society that kind of tells people, well, you do your thing and I'll do my thing. And so out of the idea that we want to love other people, respect other people, we're trying to please other people, it's very natural for us to subconsciously, sometimes even intentionally, we care for a friend, we care for a neighbor, but, you know, I don't want to make them angry, I don't want to make them upset, I don't want to push them away. And so some of those critical parts of what the gospel is telling us to tell them, you know, those life-saving things, those eternity-driven things, get diminished and pushed away. So we have to be very careful with this. This is really a very critical point. We can't let the love for people become primary to the point that it undermines the entire gospel message. Prior to going to Thessalonica, Paul was physically beaten, imprisoned, and run out of town by a mob. Yet he continued to faithfully share the gospel without excuse. Now, he, was, he obviously was not making his life any easier on himself. He was not benefiting in any way by sharing, okay? So that clearly was not self-serving just because of all the stuff that he was going through. And given the response to him when he was sharing, he wasn't pleasing too many people either. So what was Paul's primary motivation? What was motivating him in sharing? So if the improper motivations for sharing the gospel are theological error, seeking to please ourselves, or seeking to please other people, what does Scripture say are the proper motivations? And I have two things for you, okay? And this is coming from verse 4. Paul says, On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. So Paul is speaking as one entrusted with the gospel. Now just think about that for a minute, okay? Speaking as one entrusted with the gospel, as one given the authority, the right and the trust by God to share his most precious of messages. Do you view your calling that way? That you've been individually, individually entrusted with the gospel. That you've individually been given the right and the privilege and the responsibility to share this message. That you have been appointed as an ambassador by God to help somebody be directed towards him that they too might be able to spend eternity with him. This is kind of like having the, the privilege and being put in a position where, you know, maybe you could help your best friend, you know, be connected with the perfect spouse. But even knowing who this other person is, you just kind of decide, eh, you know, I'm not going to do that. And you just kind of let them live their lives and, and maybe a, a not-so-perfect match or maybe even not get married at all. Or let's say you're, you're somebody who's going on a, a medical mission trip somewhere and there's an epidemic in the area and you have vaccines that are just available for you to give and just protect people from whatever the epidemic is. But you just decide, ah, you know, I'm not going to do that. A medical missionary is entrusted with this precious medicine, 
okay? You as a friend are entrusted. You have this information that, that is really would be life-giving for your friend. And we as Christians, we as Christians are entrusted with this precious message. It's a message that is precious. We don't want to damage it. We don't want to alter it. We don't want to change it. And then the second part in verse 4, we're not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. So the second proper motivation for sharing the gospel is to please God. And if you think about it, this is actually what the first great commandment is, that we are to love God with all of our heart, soul, and mind. It says this from Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. And Jesus says that this, along with loving our neighbor, really sums up all the law and the prophets. The Ten Commandments, they prioritize God, love of God, obedience to God, to him first, honoring him first. Everything must submit to that. If we please, if we, if we seek to share the gospel, to glorify God, to please God above everything else, everything else falls in line. So our proper motivations for sharing the gospel are first to act as ones approved by God, given the privilege by God, entrusted with this precious message. And the second is that we are seeking to please God himself. And how would this affect the message? How would this affect the message when we are delivering it? Well, it would preserve it because we're recognizing how precious it is. We're recognizing that you know, if, if we want to please God, we don't want to change his message. We want to give it exactly as he has given it to us so that we can give it to others because that's what he wants. Because again, he wants others to spend eternity with him. So both of these things that are, as our motivations will preserve the gospel message. Now, we still may not want to look foolish. We still may want to please other people. We still may not want to share at all. And I'm sure that Paul many times felt all of those things. However, if our priorities are straight, if our motivations are straight, then these feelings are not going to compromise the message itself. We need to stand in our role that God has given us as ambassadors for Christ with the gospel message. Now, maybe you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus at all. That's obviously an important first step. You need to know Jesus first before we were even talking about presenting the gospel message. But maybe you're here as you're somebody who's been walking as a Christian for many years, and you feel like, you know, either you're not sharing or your own motivations have been kind of mixed in this thing. And they are, maybe they're giving you the senses of fear or pride or whatever it is that are essentially altering the message that God has given to you. If you're one of those people, then I just ask you to join me in prayer this morning because it's through God, through the power of his Holy Spirit, that he can change us, transform us. And it's through his leading that we can have the boldness and the courage to share his message, his truth, and his love. So please join me in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for who you are. Lord, and we know that uh, you have given us this command, this responsibility, this privilege to share this most precious of messages. Lord, you have given us life, this opportunity to spend eternity with you, to follow you, to trust in you. Lord, and we thank you for that. And God, you have asked us to participate with you in sharing your love with the rest of the world. So God, recognizing that we have so many things that get in our way, that 
make us want to, to back down or to, to alter this message, Lord. We just pray that you would give us the courage, give us the strength, give us the wisdom, Lord, that we can seek to please you first. We can remember you first, Lord, as our God, and that we can share this life-giving message in, in its full and its intact form that you've given to us, Lord, that others may come to know you. Lord, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for this day. We pray all this in Jesus' name.